Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Iwakim Eriksson, and today I feel like I have a couple of things to talk about. Maybe, I don't know where to start, but maybe we can just talk about the day a little bit chronologically. So this thing actually started yesterday where I was at work and um, Tiff comes into the office and she, she sees that there's a bottle of Tums next to me which is like what you do when you have acid reflux and you're about to get an ulcer or whatever. It's like a real sort of like stressed out office worker, real sort of not balanced man's medicine. Because it's really like, you shouldn't be taking Tums. You should probably just eat less pepperoni pizza or get some exercise. Like it's symptomatic of your whole system being fucked up. So Tiff walks up to me and she like puts a hand on my shoulder and she's like, how you doing, bud? You... You're taking these Tums? And I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, I got these out for the line cooks. Like, those guys fucking drink too much. Like, they need to relax. It's like, I, I haven't taken Tums in my life. And then I go off on this thing where I'm like, bro, I sleep I sleep nine hours a night. I have, like, a custom-made freshly squeezed vegetable juice every day. Beet, carrot, lemon, ginger. I exercise. I haven't had drugs or alcohol for four years. You know? I, I eat vegetables, I get completely hydrated, like I'm the healthiest person anyone knows. And that as I'm saying this, first of all, it's like not true. I like it's factually true, but I'm also like dying somehow. Like there's something my spirit is hollow and but as I'm saying it, I just feel like wow, I'm the least relatable person in the whole world. And so I started thinking about how the idea I had immediately as I was saying is like, bro, I got to start vaping. I got to start vaping so I become more relatable because I'm becoming unrelatable. So then the next day is today and I have the day off. And, and <clears throat> so I text Tristan and I'm like, bro, I got I to gotta start vaping. Uh, but here's the thing. Background. They invented these vapes that are incredibly delicious you inhale something and we don't know what it is, but it just tastes like all these different kinds of candy and it comes in all these beautiful flavors and they're all different colors and the colors correspond perfectly with the flavors. So one will be like a gradient between yellow and purple and it'll taste just like a gradient between yellow and purple. And one will be like a shade of green and one will be a darker shade of green and they'll taste like just like that. And they, the whole thing has this rounded rubber shape. Like there's a few brands, but man, some of the girls at work had these good ones, man. Like Steph and Tristan, they have these good ones. And so I'm telling Tristan like, I want, oh yeah, so what I was going to say is they're illegal. Like they invented them, they exploded and the kids love them. The, the high schoolers love them. So it turned into an epidemic of vaping. And then pretty quickly in California, they were like, this is out of control. The flavored ones are illegal. And then the first hack that they came up with was that you could, well, first of all, you can drive to fucking Reno, Nevada. It's like two hours and you can buy a bunch of them and you can drive back. That's one thing. But then the smoke shops around here, they figured out that technically you can make the purchase happen out of state. 
So when you walk in and you ask for it, they say, we don't have it, but you can buy it online. And then you go on your phone and you buy it from like their Reno location and ship it to their California location. And then, so you basically just pay for it on your phone. And then he say, oh, order's up. And then he gives it to you because he has them on location, but he just has to have the purchase happen out of state. A little American loophole, you know, because Americans are all about freedom. And then I don't know what happened with that loophole, but I think they closed it. And then the solution now is that it's it's a secret handshake. They have them, but you have to know what to ask for. So I hit Tristan up and I'm like, where can I get one? And then she texts me back and she's like, oh yeah, just go to Sig City. Uh, I think that's what it's called. It's on East Main Street by the little teeny taco shop. And I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. And then she says, ask for the backpack. And then I tell her that I want the fat tick because one of them looks like a really fat tick that's been sucking blood all day. And that's the most delicious one. And I'm like, is the fat tick in the backpack? And she's like, yeah, that's called a flume pebble. All the flavor vapes are in a backpack under the counter. But if you look like a cop, they won't show you. <laughs> that's what she says. And here's the thing, dude. In recent, in the last few years here, I don't know, I used to, what do I look like from the outside is maybe what this episode is going to be like. I think as a young person in my early 20s, I would honestly, let's be honest here, I did drugs, um, just whatever party drugs I could find. I didn't really have a particular one that I liked. They all made me kind of unhappy, but I did them all because I was unhappy and I was confused about what I was feeling, you know, which is, hey, that's also the theme of this episode, being confused about what you're feeling. But I think at that time, I was like kind of skinny and very, very young looking. And I just looked kind of like um, strung out and stressed out and kind of glossy and bad haircut and lanky and bad posture. And I was just skulking around, you know. I was skulking around in the clubs. I was skulking around the classrooms in college. I was just skulking around and... I think people were like, yeah, that guy is strung out. Like, he looks worried. And then when I got sober, I think it's like I didn't do enough damage to myself to look really fucked up. And I never got any tattoos. And I never got any piercings. I don't know why. It's something about computer nerd culture where I'm from, I think. Where, like, there were all these different subcultures where where I'm from. But, like, the, I was just a computer nerd. And the computer nerd subculture, we just really looked down on people with tattoos. And then that sort of collided with me being best friends with Ingrid in my early 20s. And she, at some point, saying, I think everyone is getting tattoos. And it's going to become really cool to be the one guy without tattoos. And for some reason, that really resonated with me. And Ingrid never got any tattoos. And so I never got any tattoos. And then... When I got sober, I hadn't done enough damage to myself to stay looking fucked up after I got sober. So I got to look kind of normal. And then I got to kind of figure out that, I don't know why, dude, but I look like a cop, dude. I look like a cop. And it's become very apparent to me in the last sort of year of like managing more and more that I just like, at work, I just try to have slightly better posture and I just sort of like go around and I putz and I just tidy things up a little bit here and a little bit there. And I just sort of like order people around in a rude way. I mean, I try not to be rude about it, but I'll just go around and be like, hey, could you maybe like tighten this part up? And then I go and tighten something up and then I tell someone else, hey, could you maybe? And it just turns into like cop energy. And then there's been these times like 
like I remember this one time um there were just these six party girls that showed up at work and they were all drinking upstairs and then they were drinking downstairs and then they were drinking upstairs and everyone was like damn those girls are it's just six really beautiful girls like damn they're so pretty and we're all like damn they're so pretty and I hadn't really I I I didn't know who anyone was talking about so everyone was like damn those six really pretty girls they're downstairs so I walk downstairs and as I am walking downstairs they're walking upstairs and then as I'm walking downstairs they all stop completely straighten up completely and stand completely straight and just look straight forward and don't move at all they just stand there completely straight like I caught them doing something and then I'm like what the fuck is going on here why are you guys standing like that and then I go do you guys think I have cop energy (laughs) and then they look at me and they go I mean yeah kind of I mean Honestly, yeah, you you kind of have cop energy. And it was the first time maybe that I was like, fuck, okay, huh. Yeah, I don't know. Throughout the years, I mean, I guess there's been things where I was trying to buy something and people wouldn't sell it to me and, and whatever, and maybe that was for the best, but yeah, I don't know. And then so today Tristan is like, go to Sig City. And so I pick up Maddie and... Um, I pick up Maddie at her house and we're driving around and we're about to drive to Sack. And then I'm like, hold on, hold on. We got to get some vapes for this. I, I got to buy my first vape here. And so I go and it's like, she's, we're both, we're both like in, in, innocent people. And then, and then I'm like, well, Maddie, don't you have tattoos? And I couldn't really remember because I was like, I'm so just assuming everyone has hella tattoos. So and she's like, yeah, I have, she's like, I have one tattoo on my ass. <laughs> like, like, do you want us to not look like cops? And the way for us not to look like cops is for us to walk in there. And I show him the tattoo on my ass. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> it's a very funny idea to be like, uh, hey, excuse me, sir. Uh, I'm trying to buy an illegal vape. And it just, by the way, like, this is like a tattoo on my butt cheek. <laughs> and I'm sure that convinces you that it's no problem at all to sell me an illegal vape. But so we're we're arguing in the parking lot, in my sitting in my car arguing in the parking lot. And she's like, I'll just wait in the car. And I'm like, don't wait. Come in with me and do act normal. And we're both going to act normal. And then I go in and there's the big piece of plastic. That threw me off. I'm going to come up with – my brain is just – Looking for excuses right here. Like, there's a big piece of plastic that you're talking through because of COVID. And it's like, bro, the pandy is over. Take the plastic down. Like, why are we talking through this plastic? But I don't say that. I just go in. And then I'm like, not sure. Because I I was thinking initially I wasn't going to be super loud about it. But then I didn't want to seem, I didn't want him to, I didn't want to whisper behind a piece of plastic and have him be like, what? What are you saying? And so I just go up to the piece of plastic and I'm really loud and I just go, all right, bro, I'm trying to get one of them, one of them delicious flume things from the backpack, all right? And he looks like everyone else in the whole universe who works in a smoke shop. It's like people, like if you've ever seen a video that says like vape Olympics, person vaping the size of himself, like all those guys all look the same. And they all look like people in smoke shops. And that's what this guy looked like. Like a really unkempt beard. Like a very, very large frame. And just like a really lumpy fella. Who 
I don't know, man. He works in a smoke shop. And so I say, I say, hey, can I have one of them, one of them delicious things, one of them flume things from the backpack? And he looks over at his buddy, and his buddy looks exactly like him, but totally different. His buddy is super skinny and also looks like every single fella in the fucking Vape Olympics videos. And he's skinny and unkempt and has no facial hair and is like pimply. And they both have terrible haircuts and the skinny buddy has like a beanie on. Even though it's about 105 degrees Fahrenheit outside, it's 39 degrees Celsius outside. And um, and they look at each other. And man, I wish I had this look on video. Because they look at each other in this way where like they know each other. And they're looking at each other like... There's so much communication going on in this completely blank stare that they're both giving each other. But I think my read on the situation is that they're looking at each other like, do you think this is cool? Because I don't think this is cool. And if you're also going to look at me with a blank stare, then that means that you also think this is not cool. And so they both like are turning and looking at each other and turning and they're just like completely blank stoned stares at each other. They just maintain eye contact for like kind of a long time. Like, I'm over here. I ask a question. Hey, can I have one of them delicious things from the backpack? The flume flume pebbles? And then he doesn't respond to me. Instead, he looks at his buddy and they just stare at each other for several seconds with blank stares while both slowly sort of turning uh, aimlessly. And then after a few seconds of silence, he just sort of like takes two steps over to the side and he points to the shelf and he's like, yeah, I got these. I got these five. And what he's pointing at is the unflavored ones. The unflavored ones taste like tobacco and they taste like shit. And those are still legal. There's no fucking wave of teenagers trying to smoke those things. Those things are gross. Only Max Loring likes those things. He likes the ones that tastes like extra tobacco like there's literally like a camel brand like the camel cigarette company literally made a vape and made it taste like extra cigarettes and yeah so i'm looking at him and he's looking at me and he's pointing to the shelf and he's like i got these five they're tobacco flavored and i'm looking at him and i'm like i'm trying to hide how incredibly rejected i feel and how incredibly sad and like emotionally upsetting this is that I'm not cool enough, even though I know the password, the password is ask for the fucking backpack. I'm trying to get a vape from the backpack. And he is looking at me like, without even saying that he's rejecting me, this is the theme of this episode. He doesn't say out loud that he's rejecting me. He's just like, yeah, bro, I got these five on the shelf here. They're tobacco flavored. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Hmm. All right, that's all you got, huh? Trying to not choke up, trying to sound like I'm not fighting back tears, you know? Trying to sound normal, trying to just sound like a cool guy. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool, 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 cool. Okay, yeah, that's great. That's all you got, huh? And then he's like, yeah, that's that's all I got. And I'm like, yeah, that's all you got, huh? Just like starts crying immediately when he turns around, Joachim. Joachim doesn't want you to see him crying, Erickson. Um, yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, hey, thank you, though. And I turn around and I leave and Maddie comes with me. And I'm like, Maddie, and I'm like, Maddie, where were you? Why didn't you back me up? Why didn't you stand next to me? So we seemed like two normal people. 
And she's like, no, I was trying to look inconspicuous. I was trying to look at stuff. So, and I was like, did you see how they looked at each other? And she's like, no, no, I was busy. I was busy looking normal and looking at stuff on the shelf. It's like, so, yeah. Anyway, that really made me feel sensitive emotionally because I was rejected by two guys who was like, yeah, I don't want, two guys that were like, I don't want this guy's money. I should have, man. There was probably a way to... The thing is that Tristan is not friends with them. I really wanted to be like, hey, but Tristan told me... But they don't know who Tristan is. Tristan is just a really, really punk rock gal. And she walks in there and... Fuck cops, you know? Fuck 12. I don't know. And then as I'm driving off, I'm thinking about all these things I could have said. Or could have been like, here's my green card showing that I am not an American. Does that prove to you that I'm not a police officer? And I don't know if it does, actually. I feel like foreigners can maybe become police officers, but probably not. Like, there's, it's probably very rare or inconvenient for... I got to Google this. Okay, so that's pretty cool. You Google it, and the first hit is, like, a Belgian guy who's talking about how he's trying to do it because he saw a documentary about a French guy who did it. So there's like a French guy who's a police officer in America. It sounds like it's very rare, but it's interesting to think about because I thought about it kind of like an, a military role. Like, because it's weird to be in a, the military of one country and then to transfer over to a different country because that's not how it works. You'd like the point of the military is that you're fighting for that country only. But police officer maybe is different. Maybe it's just. You're just about straightening shit out. So if you're straightening shit out in Belgium or you're straightening shit out in America, it might just be all one thing. You just take a Velcro label off of your shoulder and you just do a, a training video on the internet and now you're a police officer in America. Okay, anyway, next part of the story here. So then Maddie and me are driving to Sacramento to... Um, go to a comedy show. The comedy show is Ali Colbert, who is someone I saw on Instagram. I really like um, when I'm shown just a few seconds of someone's comedy work or whatever, and then I'm like, okay, sounds fun. And then I get a, a multiple emails about uh, comedians coming through town on tour. And then when I cross-reference something there, I'm really into it. When you find one of these comedians that has almost no hits or whatever, or like they're up and coming. They're not big comedians. And then they're coming through and, but but it's like a, when you find your exact vein of comedy, like I found this one guy, his name is Scott Sice. He was later in the movie Cocaine Bear, but he had like this thing where he would make memes and they would all be the same template of the same sound clip with an Ikea background and it was all about hating your employer. And the memes got popular enough that he could do a comedy tour. And then he had some jokes, but the thing that people really liked was the meme. So when I saw him live at the Punchline in Sacramento, he literally just did the meme on stage. He would hit a button and it would do the audio track. That's the background of his meme. It's like the audio track meme. If you Google Scott Sice, you can see it. Anyway, I think I actually talked about it on the podcast, whatever, so I'm not going to repeat myself. But 
But I really, I really enjoyed just finding some rare thing in the internet and just realizing that the rare thing in the internet is about to be close to you. There's something cool about Sacramento, actually, where like we're in California, so it's everyone in the big, um, you know, greater LA fucking entertainment area will do these tours and they'll fucking schlep their way to sack. It's not far at all for them. So everyone comes through, but they all come through in this really lazy way <laughs> where they're like, they hate Sacramento. Sacramento, has, it's in the fucking Central Valley. It has the same horrible reputation that every other sh- piece of shit city in the Central Valley. Like every, the Fresnos and the Stockton and the Bakersfield, like all of these cities are complete shitholes. To in the mind of the coastal elites. So they lazily just walk into a shitty city in their own backyard and they will do these small venues just because. And the framing of it is so funny to me how they do it. They do it with this great sense of pity. Like they're never less nervous. Like they're not the <laughs> even really early in their career, Los Angeles comedians, when you see them in Sacramento, they're like, they take pity on you so hard that you live in Sacramento, that that they're speaking to a Sacramento crowd, that they talk down to you so aggressively, and it's so funny. But it actually makes for a really funny framing where you like you get to see big names in small venues because they really expect nothing of it, and they they, they com- like Sacramento doesn't have a comedy culture, so they don't expect like some big good club. Because Sacramento has no culture in any way. So anyway, Ali Colbert was some person on Instagram where I saw like literally four clips. They were like 20 seconds each of her doing crowd work or telling a joke. And the crowd work is always about how she's like sort of this angry deadpan lesbian who looks like a 12-year-old boy. And lesbians are hilarious to me. It's funny, dude. It's such a good genre of comedy, and it's not a overdone genre of comedy. Like, there's so much. Like, we've been digging this fucking white guy, schleppy white guy stand-up comedy. That hole is so deep, and schleppy white guy has tried everything so much that it's like, rarely does it feel fresh. But you get me, like, a new-looking character? Like, loud black guy, that's a stand-up comedian genre that's we've that's been overdone. It's like you need new permutations now and like deadpan snarky uh, lesbian that looks who's like 30 years old but she looks like a 13-year-old boy is a hilarious uh, genre instantly to me. So I see four clips and then I the next day I get like an email that she's about to be in Sacramento so I'm like okay deal I'm there. So I buy two tickets and then so I bring Maddie and so we're going and okay so first we're arguing about what food to do and and we're thinking about all the, like I kind of want to do like I want to do I want to do like ramen or pokey or smash burger and she wants to do sushi and then we find both of those things in a strip mall and then right in between it there's a there's a Korean barbecue and so it became a very like physically a compromise because it was literally in between but then hey I'm such a fucking good guy that we just went to sushi instead and I just want to mention it because I accidentally, we accidentally stumbled into a Japanese sushi place that had all the craziness of Japan. Like it's the conveyor belt sushi where there's just 
And that's actually quite normal. And once you've d- done it once, you realize it's not a complicated system at all. It's just a permanent conveyor belt that's always going around. And you can just grab shit off of it and you pay per plate. But this place also has a big computer screen where you order things on a screen. And then a separate conveyor belt really quickly sort of you, you hit the button for ramen. And then this conveyor belt is like gets you a bowl of ramen to your table, and then you can order drinks on the screen, and then a fucking robot that's pretty much like a Roomba that they put, like, a whole robot on top of. This fucking Roomba brings a drink over. And I couldn't tell if it was, like, a gimmicky thing where it's, like, more work to do it like this because there's, like, you have to hire four people to maintain this, like, complicated robot that brings out the drinks instead of just having one person actually bring the drinks out. Or if it's, like automation heaven and and good stuff Uh, it it wasn't clear to me anyway the whole thing was crazy and like when you finished with a plate you like slotted into this slot in the table and the table counts how much you owe and the the whole thing is completely automated it's completely crazy but um anyway that was a little japanese It, it, it like i we didn't know that we were walking into anything weird so it made it crazy to walk into that to walk into a robot amusement park and have pretty pretty darn decent sushi like there was a seared piece of salmon that i didn't think really come together because it had it had some shitty mayo on it but the ramen was excellent and lots of the lots of the stuff was excellent but anyway so then we go to the comedy show and so let me I knew I was worried walking in that it was going to be like a crowd work thing where like you're worried that the comedian is going to look at you and be like, you look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> Everyone laughs like you. You're always I'm always a little bit worried about that, even if I'm sitting in the back. I don't know. I've gone to a lot of comedy shows kind of and and it's it. It's it's it is part of why I enjoy it actually because part of what I enjoy is and I think this is what people talk about when they talk about how they love theater or something but I don't feel it with theater at all. Theater feels too polished for me. Um because people talk about how theater it's like it's right there and you know they could fuck up but they like really do it and they really feel it in the moment and it's real human beings in front of you embodying something and like i get that and it is they are physically in the room with you but it feels so polished and i've never fucking seen a theater person fuck anything up and it's just really feels like me when i was an english teacher when i would teach the same class to 30 third graders at 9 a.m. And then I'd teach the same class at 9.30. And then the same class again. I mean, 30 new kids, but I would say the same shit. And then I'd say the same shit to 30 new kids at 10 a.m. And then 30 new kids at 10.30. And then 30 new kids at 11.30. And it just kept going. And like, I would just go into like 11 classrooms in a day and say the same shit over and over. That sort of factory feel to how, yeah, I'm physically in the room, but like, I'm also, like, when I'm watching stage theater, bro, I don't believe that those people are spiritually there. I rarely believe it. And I think that there are probably many exceptions, and good theater can be incredible and stuff. But, like, overall, generally, I've seen some really boring theater in my day. Um, But with stand-up comedy, there's something about... 
and and I think this really speaks to something zeitgeisty, where like we're in this era of there's something that happened where we got really really into trying to see something real, and so that's why everyone, including myself, has a podcast, and that's why people listen to podcasts that are what you might call personality driven. And is it connected to the loneliness crisis? Because there's something about stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy has like always been a thing from the 50s or whatever. Always been a big thing. It's come in different waves or whatever. But there's something specific about this wave and the now where what people actually like about stand-up comedy now is not the jokes. It's the crowd work. And we're realizing that because of the algorithm because the algorithm has noticed that people just fucking love a 25-second video of a comedian just talking at someone in the crowd and making fun of them a little bit or making fun of them horribly, a lot, you know? So, like, crowd work has been this become this huge thing, and then a lot of these new stand-up comedians, that's kind of what they do. They write a little bit of a joke to have some material to fall back on, but they're really, like, crowd work comedians. And they're funny as fuck, dude. And then when you find a snarky lesbian who's about to do some cr- crowd work, like, I'm there. So we're walking in, and the tension is there of, like, I hope she doesn't point to me and make fun of me. And then so we walk in, and the person seating us, we show our tickets or whatever, and then the person seating us asks, uh, you want to sit, like, towards the front or what? And I'm like, sure. And the person brings us to the very front and it's a very small club and there are four very 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 small tables right at the edge of the stage and i'm i literally can't like sit properly in the chair because the whole space is so small which really contributes to the whole experience like that's actually an important part of the thing the thing that i couldn't sit in a I couldn't make – there were no power stances available to me. I, I was really crammed into a tiny chair, and my legs were all, like, super, super bent in this really uncomfortable way where, like, my knee and my heel and everything, it's like just – I'm just crammed into this thing. And there's a fella, like, a few inches to my right, and I can tell how – there's a fella sitting behind me, and he's literally man-spreading, so he ha- has one leg on each side of my chair. You know, he's literally right behind me. So I'm squeezed into this tiny space, feeling like I'm looking weird from how squeezed I am. And then, so it's comedian, it's comedian. There's like an opener or there's a host and he's funny for 20 minutes. He works at Trader Joe's. He was nice. And then he introduces another guy and the other guy is like not less funny. And then the host introduces the the headliner and it's Ali Colbert. And she walks up on stage and it's like, look, I don't know if I can explain this story. I don't know if I can explain what happened. But she walks up on stage, and the first thing she says is like, what's going on with you two? Uh, Are you a couple? And she's pointing to me and Maddie. And we're both like, so, it's so interesting, dude. Because it's such a weird ritual. Because it's a comedy show. But if you're in the audience, and you're getting fucking crowd worked, you really, it's a comedy show, but you're not supposed to say anything funny. So don't try to be weird because then you just come off as, why are you performing? Like the performance happens on stage. You're just like fuel for it. So just be normal. And then the comedian is going to look at your normal and they're going to like try to be your, try to be honest, try to just answer questions straight. 
Because what really doesn't work, because I've been on Instagram and seen these fucking videos. So, like, somewhere in my mind, I'm running a protocol of, like, uh, what not to do in this situation. What's really annoying is when people feel like they don't want to give up information or they want to be coy or they want to, like, um, be weird or, like refuse to answer questions or whatever because it comes off as really like why are you slowing down the show with your own thing here just answer the question so we can fucking let this get ripping you know so somehow both me and maddie are like aware of that so we tried to not be weird at all and we just go like yeah no we're not dating we're this is my ex and then she keeps unpacking it and she's like okay so like what how did you how did you guys get to how did you make that work and it's like i don't know i i think the answer that i should have given there is like maybe we never said mean things to each other but maybe that's just too many words cuz really when she asked anyone anything and they answered with more than five words she would make fun of them so much for talking too much <laughs> and she's be like wow she thinks this is an interview she thinks we i want this whole answer and she would make fun of how they talk <laughs> she's so mean she's so fucking mean but so she immediately hones in on me and maddie and she's like yeah and then i maddie doesn't say anything so i am answer everything oh god i don't even know if i can talk about this it's like i don't know that it makes sense as a story but it was like really really stressful as a sort of um public speaking exercise because and i was saying sort of this to maddie i don't I haven't really we were trying to analyze it afterwards but there's something about there's a powerlessness to it which makes it actually way 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 worse than regular public speaking like i'm not great at public speaking and but i'm also not completely terrified of it and i do it sometimes and i will talk about food and beverage to a group of 60 people sometimes and and like it it that can be fine you know it's fine i can be in control and i know what i'm doing and and, and it's like i can a little bit feel what the group is doing and 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 give them sort of like you know you speed things up when they get bored you slow things down when they're paying attention you you know, you sprinkle in an appropriate amount of jokes. You know, you do a little bit of public speaking and there's a rhythm to it and you're in control of it and, and you can make it weird, but you're like in control of how weird it gets. But look, dude, try sitting in the first row of a comedy show when there's just like a really, really mean lesbian on stage. She had this one joke where she was like, yeah, lesbians, we really need to work on like our marketing game. Like we we don't have good marketing we're always like just in the background and stuff and the only people we have is like ellen and ellen got canceled for being like cunty and then she's like yeah that's kind of and that's kind of how we are like we're just like we're just really cunty and she that's the persona that she's doing on stage but so um yeah i i, I said some i said some stupid things i think it makes it I think it makes it worse for myself if I don't. So one thing that I said that was like um, that where I failed with the how you you should just be normal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was asking us questions and only I was answering because Maddie was just sitting there. And then I had some sentence that just came out like uh, really fragmented where she asked us a new question and I didn't want to answer because I wanted Maddie to talk. So I just go, woman speak? And dude, it's like, yeah, I know, like, oh God, I, sh I, yeah, I should just, 
I should just end it all right here. I know what you're thinking. I should just, we should just call it. We had a good run. Like, I don't know. And then she made fun of me for a while. And, and then, you know, I blacked out. I think I blacked out. She just kept doing it. And then she did some of her material. And then she made fun of the people next to us. And then she just kept coming back to us. And she like, yeah, she was like, <laughs> at one point she's like, <laughs> Maddie is laughing at something and, and she just looks at me and she's like, bro, she's laughing way too hard at this, man. She doesn't want to be with you, dude. Your dick is too small, dude. She said something about my dick being too small. And then she like started picking apart the way I looked. And she was like, she said I looked like some guy in a time travel movie, which I thought was a hilarious thing to say because all time travel movies are, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I said this to Maddie, but... All time travel movies are for boys. It's a very gendered uh, corner of sci-fi, even though sci-fi is already super gendered. But there's like, apparently there's like two time traveling movies that are not for boys. And you can tell from the titles that they're not for boys. One is called The Time Traveler's Daughter. And the other one is called, <laughs> and I literally, I <laughs> I was making fun of what a title, I it's It was such a confusing moment because we were talking about it afterwards. And I was like, what was the time travel movie? And I was I thought I was making fun of what a shitty name for a time travel movie would be. And I was saying, what's it called? About Time. And then we're talking about it. And and I realized that it's actually called About Time. And and the, the lady, the comedian lady thought I looked like the guy in About Time. But I didn't understand what she was saying. So I was like, oh, are you saying I, I look like Paul Dano? And then she made fun of me for that because Paul Dano is always a serial killer. Like Paul Dano is always, he's the villain in the new Batman movie. He's, he's always just stabbing someone. And yeah. And then I think for a portion of it, I just, I wasn't cute at all. And I looked like I was going to cry. And at one point she took pity on me and said that I, that I seemed really nice for someone who like, looks like a serial killer or whatever and then much later in the show she just does like an open-ended thing where she's like are there any lesbians here and then maddie was like "Woo, i'm a lesbian and then she <laughs> that's where it got really good because that's where she was like oh so you dated this guy and then you became a lesbian and it's like <laughs> and it's just like a very and she stayed on that for a while, dude. She talked about that for a while. And it's just like kind of a, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just like I wasn't in control of anything. I was, I had no control. And it's like I think it's super cute that Maddie is a lesbian now and that she dated me and then she became a lesbian. And I take pride in that or something. I think that there's a, there's a way to um, none of this tracked in the thing, you know? Everything was just about humiliating me. It's a very anti-man room. And it's so crazy that I... There's some really masochistic part of me where, like, I really wanted that, probably. And, like, that's why I bought the tickets. I buy the tickets because there's this lesbian who hates men. And I just want to, like, be in that space and listen to her. And then I got a little bit too much in the center of that space. And it wasn't exactly what I asked for and it just sort of happened because I have this problem where like I was a host for a long time in restaurants so um when you seat someone people would be like I don't want this table and it's like bro 
I'm the host. I have seven different concerns here. Where like this server in the section which I'm trying to seat you, this server hasn't been sat in forever. And if you're going to sit over there, then I have to change it so that the server that hasn't been sat in forever is are you are, is now serving y- y- this table over here that's not in their section. So I have to now go to everyone. I have to go to the manager. I have to go to both servers, the server getting and the server losing a table. And all the food, all the tickets, everything is going to be fucked up just because you don't want to sit there. You want to sit there. Like it's four feet. You're, you're four feet to the right. Can't you just sit where I'm telling you to sit? Do you have to sit there? Do you have to sit there? Can't you just sit four feet to the left where I'm telling you to sit? Like you're fucking up the entire – like there's so – everyone is going to yell at me, dude. Do you understand how many women are going to be pit- – dude – I got yelled at so much when I was a host because you get it. It's that everyone who's worked in a restaurant for a long time says that hosting is the hardest job because you get it from both sides because the guests hate you. They're hungry. They haven't gotten their food yet. They haven't gotten their table. They, they, they're just pre-everything. They're getting nothing. You're making them wait in like an atrium. So they're pissed. You're getting them from the guest. And then the servers are like, why the fuck are you seating me so much or so little? It's never right, you know? It's always too little or too much. And it's always your fault as the host. Because as the host, you're like a very you're the you're an entry level person in control of the entire flow of money and the entire thing. So it's a super hard job. So because of that, whenever I go to a restaurant, like ever since I was a host, I have never not once, regardless of how preposterous preposterously bad of a table I'm being offered, regardless of how inefficial the whole thing seems, so it seems like it doesn't even matter, regardless of anything, I've never said, hey, this table that you're showing me here, can I not sit here? Can I sit? Is there anywhere else? Like, I've never even tried to be nice about it and be like, would it fuck you up in any way if I sat? Like, I've never even asked. I'm just like, yep, you're pointing me here. I'm going here. That's it. And, excuse me. End of conversation, 100%. So when I walk into the comedy club and she's like, you want to sit towards the front, like whatever? And I'm like, yep, sure, towards the front. Like, what? Am I going to say I want to sit in the back? Like where you don't see anything? Like that seems like a weird answer. But it's also very loaded because it's like apparently they ask like that because they want you to say yes because they need someone to sit in front. And and most normal people just know that it's like has a crowd work angle. So you don't – so like I guess I fucked it up. But – the nice host in me just had me end up on that table. So I sat at that table at the very front and it was devastating, dude. It was fucking devastating. She talked for like 10 minutes about how I'm the kind of guy, I'm the kind of small penis fella that ladies date and then they go lesbian afterwards. Yeah, what I was going to say about that is like I had the most self-congratulatory idea ever, which is like, wouldn't it be so fun and so nice and so good for me if there's two ways to be a man dating women and then the women after you date only women? Um, that either you're so shitty of a man that the women are like, oh my God, I don't want to date men anymore because that guy was so shitty. Or you're just such a fucking nice guy that after you, it's like all the other guys are so not nice, you know? Can I just please be allowed to tell myself that I'm just so fucking nice that that's my that's why I I mean I think at least 3 or 4 women after dating me were like I think I'm going to do women 
I think I'm going to do just women now. But uh, probably it's not about being the nicest or the least nice, but it might be something about being like a real fucking softy. You know, like a real, a real softy. Because there is an interesting thing with gender of like, there is a type of lesbian who dates women who look, who's super mask, you know, who's super butch. And when you're in that direction, like it is a spectrum, you know, like the butchest, is it something like if you line us all up and arrange us by from most masculine to most feminine, am am I like in the middle where like I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with uh, a really masked lesbian <laughs> like and then the next one more feminine than that butch lesbian is a man who's like really effeminate and then it kind of goes every other for a little bit and then it's like and then it's really feminine women towards the end but like we're just kind of mingling in the middle there so in that sense i'm just sort of some off-ramp yeah that's a more realistic less less self-congratulatory um read on why there's been three or four women that went full lesbian after dating me because I can't I can't deal with the conventional wisdom which is like that I'm so fucking shitty that it's over now. <laughs> and then there was this there was this one part where the Ali Cole, which is a stand-up comedian, she's talking about how she has a man brain because like women when they have an orgasm, they they um they just want to be together more, but men, they just want to like be alone after they come or whatever. And she talks about how she has a man brain because like as soon as she has an orgasm, she's like, I want to live alone. And then Maddie laughed at that a lot. And then she walked up to us and she points to Maddie and she's like, dude, she's laughing too much at that joke, dude. It wasn't good. You never did a good job with her. It was The sex was never good. And that's probably true. And it was just like, it's just such a fucking weird thing about the zeitgeist that we just want this reality. Like, that is like the, it is like a real act of hurting my feelings. And that is the real thing. Because like, we are so jaded on reality TV that we just want that, we just want something realer. And you go realer and realer, like the 90s real and then you know, late 90s and then reality TV and then reality TV goes more and more real. And then you get to stuff that's just podcasts. That's just a, it's just two people talking and you somehow, it's so weird, but somehow there are all these different stand-up comedians where I like, I'll try to watch their comedy special and it's boring as fuck, but I can watch like 45 minutes of them just talking to each other on a, on a podcast. It's like, what? That's so counterintuitive and interesting to me that, that we just, that we want. So what is it that we want? It's like, it's not entertainment that we want. It's like we have drifted away from reality somehow so that what we want is not entertainment. What we want is just something that seems real. But I guess it needs to be, I don't know. I guess it needs to be entertainment that's completely real. And then what blood sport, present day blood sport is the act of putting someone in the front row and then just like, saying mean things to him for about 30 minutes and just watching him. I wasn't cute for most of it. I sat there and I like couldn't control my face and my face was probably doing all kinds of weird shit and I just like crumpled into this chair that I didn't fit into. So I just like looked really weird and then, yeah. And then Maddie is such a sweetheart that the whole time afterwards, she just kept apologizing. (laughs) 
I thought it was so funny. She kept apologizing, like sincerely apologizing, as if my, like as if my feelings were hurt in a way that like wasn't what I just paid a hundred dollars for. Like I paid a hundred dollars for it because it's what I want. I didn't pay a hundred dollars for it because I didn't want it. I paid a hundred dollars for it because I wanted it. And so, why are you apologizing? Like, yes. The woman made everyone laugh about how I have a small penis. Like, that's what I paid $100 for. Is there something confusing there? Like, that's, it's a transaction. It's a free market. It's a completely normal, it's a pretty straightforward A to B, you know, take my money. And then the second her act was over, she just said, thank you. And the host came back up. And then it's like, Maddie said immediately she just looked super sad all of a sudden from looking really happy. And then she just ignored everyone, even though she's been like talking at us, with us for 30 minutes or for like 45 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever. And it's like, it, it, the sh- like there's, a, there's a ritual and it is a square. It's like inside of the square, the square is both a physical space and a time. It's like within this square, We've decided that we're going to do the ritual. And within this square, you can say whatever. And nothing is considered too mean because mean is what we have decided is funny inside of the square. And then the second you stop out of, step out of the square, we act like we don't know each other. And the rules are completely different. And now we have to be polite again. Like now we have to be nice. And now we have to um, slip right back into regular society. And... None of the horrible, devastating things that were said to you have anything to do with regular society. It's just normal now. I don't know. I just find that so interesting. I find it so interesting that the human brain is so good at it, that the human brain is so good at having different modes where you like do, where you like become a different person because we've decided that there's a ritual where people are like, you go inside of the church and inside of the church, you're like a different person and you do all this different shit and you learn how to have this completely other rhythm of emotions. And then when you step out, you go back to what you, whatever you were doing before. Or you do a podcast and you like, <clears throat> like I feel completely different as a human being just when I, for the duration of recording the podcast, I feel like a completely different person because there's just something where I like, you know, some switch, like you pass through some sort of barrier and your your body and mind knows both feel totally different because they both are somehow aware that you've passed through a barrier and that you're now in a new space. And... um and then when you do it a lot, your body gets super used to it. So I think like a stand-up comedian whose job it is to just walk into the square of a stage and to just make fun of people in a way that you can't in real life and you wouldn't in real life, they get really fluid with it. But like I haven't been to that many comedy shows and I've never really had anyone uh, say mean things to me before. So to me, it was like <laughs> extremely jarring and I didn't know that I signed up for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't know that I signed up for that. And and it was uh, deeply, um, deeply weird and deeply, um, yeah, made me feel like it was, yeah. It was like, yeah, I don't know. It felt like Fight Club. I mean, it, 
I'm I'm saying that it was devastating and that it was horrible and everything, but clearly, as you can tell, like it's also like thrilling and kind of fun. I I mean, yeah, if it if I could pay a hundred bucks every single week to have that experience, I probably would. You know, I probably would do that every week if that was an option, and um, because it's just like I just want to feel something and also. Extreme things are numbing, and yeah, I don't know. It feels like reality and stuff. It feels like reality, and, and real life really doesn't feel like reality. But um, yeah, and then Maddie and me walked out of it, and it's like, and she's like, yeah, that that kind of that whole experience kind of felt like a fever dream. That's what she said. Anyway, let's drink a water. So today we're doing mango. So water number one is Ramlösa, one of the two big Swedish brands. I should really quiz you guys on this. The two brands are Ramlösa and Liuka. So we're starting with Ramlösa Mango, which is the Swedish word for mango. Mandingo. Okay, okay. It smells like mango. I like mango. Yeah, the thing in the picture is not an Alfonso or anything. It's a normal mango. Wow, yeah, that's good. That is good. We're getting back to we're getting back to the th- the thing that we should be doing here. It's hot in this room. The water is cold. The water is bubbly. I like mango. It's a good time, you know. Like that's how it used to be. It used to be that the first fucking sixty episodes, I would drink the water and I'd just be like, "Man, it's so hot in here," and this water is so cold, and that makes it so good. And then somewhere along the line, I lost that. Somewhere along the path, the heat of the room and the cool temperature of the water was lost. Yeah, that's an 8 out of 10. It's good. The mango isn't super um, natural tasting. It's a little bit artificial. It has a candy-esque quality, which is uh, it's kind of its own thing when you take the candy version of something, which is like the artificial sugary version of it, but you go light with the candy version of mango. And hey, the bubbles are crispy. It's like um Romlasa. It's this mountain water from this spring, this spring that the king was always obsessed with in Sweden. And and uh, it means that it's quite salty. And the saltiness with the fruit, it's uh it's quite cool. I like it. That's an eight out of ten. Okay, let's talk about something else. Um let's think. Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. Um, Dr. Luke, my friend, Dr. Luke, who I, wow, this feels weird to talk about is because I, I actually planned on talking about this and in my head, it was like, my voice was sounding completely genuine, but now when I'm listening to my own voice in reality, it's like, it's sounding not genuine, but it's like, Luke and me were friends for like more than 10 years and then we would have these fights and then at the at some point, I just like was like, fuck this, I can't do this. And then I stopped talking to him. And then <sighs> every few months, he emails me something nice, and I don't respond. And um, he emailed me after the last episode and said just something nice about the podcast, <clears throat> about how the episodes recently have been good. And, and um, I just really feel like... For the duration of the podcast, 
like him and me are not really friends anymore, but like for the duration of the podcast, we are, you know, like for, for one hour and 18 minutes every week, we're friends. And it's like the Joe Kim that I, oh God, this feels both way too real and not real at all. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I miss him. I miss him. And for the duration of the of the pod, he, 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 we're friends. He's my buddy. He's my buddy. Because, man, I don't have a lot of buddies, you know? I hang out with my ex. Her name is Maddie. We go to comedy shows. The comedian looks at us and asks us about our lives and makes fun of us for being super codependent. Whatever we were talking about, she was like, you guys are way too codependent. And it's, um, we were talking about it afterwards, and it's a funny way of, the crowd work is also like a funny type of, um, it's like an atheist version of being a psychic. Because like a psychic in the olden days would be that some person would walk around and in the audience and point to people and ask them a couple of questions and then guess really specific deep things about them. And people would be like, wow, how did you know that? But it's really just like some people are maybe a little bit better at that than others. And it's really not that hard. And there's something funny about the ritual of the crowd work where someone actually looks at you, asks you just a few questions, and then starts talking about what they think your big problem in life is that you aren't even aware of yourself. And it's like a very funny atheist version of being a psychic, like Stavi. Stavi is <laughs> an, a modern-day psychic. But so anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm... Um, starved for starved for friends and i'm friends with maddie and we're a little bit codependent are we codependent though i shouldn't just accept it at face value just because a lesbian said it um probably a little bit i don't know there's probably a lot of things going on i think we get kind of different things from each other but but that's fine that's fine um yeah Luke, I just want you to know that, like, I appreciate the email, and yeah, everyone else who, you know, I get messages from people, and they're, they're nice, and it's like, I appreciate you guys. I do. Let's drink another water. Luca Mango Lime. Wow. Friskt vatten från Hälsoskällan i Bergslagen. Ah. I don't know. Do they have that in America? Hälsoskälla. It's like a health spring. It's like a spring that they build a spa around 300 years ago. And they're like, this water is so springy that we are going to put sick people in it to put the springiness back in them. Okay, let's smell it. Ooh, that smells way more. That just smells more. It smells way fresher. Now we're not talking candy mango. We're talking like, that's mango juice. No lime at all. Not smelling any lime. Okay. The bubbles are almost completely lost. I wonder if it's because I brought it on the plane from Sweden and it's been a month, but almost no bubbles, which is a a, a real a real drawback here on here on this week in sparkling water when the water isn't very sparkling. Um yeah, it's way fresher of a mango flavor, but it's less salty and it has almost no bubbles. So I don't know. It's like a six, but Maybe if it's bubbly as fuck, it's a nine. Okay, so 
one more topic here. Um, this is sort of like a big topic that's more... The, the weird thing about the sequence of events here is that the first 20% of the sequence of events I already talked about on the last episode, just that I didn't even understand it at the time. So I was seeing this girl for a bit, and it... I'm now at this point, I'm really grateful to her for how she sort of didn't accept my bullshit and just sort of lost interest in me. It's maybe one f way that you could phrase it. Um, so what happened, l let's just say it like this. We matched on this dating app and we were messaging just a little bit. And then we go on a first date and it's nice. It's a nice first date and we make out a little bit and it's all good. And then very quickly, she just starts texting me like every four hours, like often, like multiple times a day. And <clears throat> that felt really good because it felt like validation. And then my problem is that I get addicted to validation more than I get interested in building like a real long-term relationship. And the problem is that they're very hard to pick apart. They're very hard to untangle. Because really, if you meet someone and it's going good, you're both getting validation and you're building towards like a long-term relationship. But the problem with me is like, I get validation and then I get drunk on validation and then I convince myself that it's like something that's the beginning of something and that's going to become a real serious relationship even though like some part of myself that I am kidnapping and putting in a box and and you know muffling some part of myself that I that I lock in a soundproof chamber knows that it's like look there's a combat compatibility issue here so what happened is that like we she would text me a lot and I, it's, it's also fresh. There, there's two sides to all of this because it's like when you go on a first date with someone, for them to just text you later that night and then the next morning and then later that next day, you could be like, that's not very cool. Like that person doesn't look very cool. And in this sort of through the lens of like game playing or whatever, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go on a date and then even if it's nice, you're supposed to wait like a day and a half and then be like, yeah, thanks for last time. That was cool. Like she would do something again. But but that's a little bit lame and disingenuous. And I'm not super, like I'm not super into that lame and disingenuous. I think it that there's something very real to meeting someone and it's two people that really feel like they immediately like each other and then just being honest with that and just being like, you want to see me tomorrow again? And then you just see the person tomorrow again. And it's like, like the woman I married, that's what that was like. We just met and then it was like, we just like spent, you know, a lot of good marriages are like two people meet and then they're like, day one, they're like, hey, you want to spend day two together? And then they just sort of spend every single day together. Like, I don't think that's, that has like a bad reputation of being like, hey, you want to hang out tomorrow? What? Like, hanging out on the second, the day after your first date has a bad reputation, but I don't think that's deserved. I think that part can really go either way. So, that's like one thing where she just like didn't do any game playing. She just like, we were just talking and she just had funny things to say all the time. And she was like funny and smart and the banter is real good. And then she would sprinkle in little like nice things about how she liked hanging out with me. 
And she was, everything from her, can I just say, everything from her is like very healthy. Like she has healthy attachment styles. Like she does not have like a loneliness problem. There's a lot of healthy stuff going on in this person. And then me, I mean, I'm still trying to decide if I have some healthy things going on with me. But I just, there are things I'm sensitive about. Like, I'm sensitive about how I'm lonely and I want to, like, get, I want to find a romantic partner that I give a shit about. And I'm, like, sensitive and scared about how I've been in so many relationships recently where I, like, didn't actually give a shit. Like, so many relationships since my, since my divorce or whatever. It's like they didn't really touch me all the way, like, as much as I needed, as much, like, it didn't hit me as deep as I needed to hit me. And I'm scared of, like, can I not feel anymore? Or is there just, I haven't met anyone that was, like, compatible enough or, like, just had the thing that I needed or whatever. But, like, it's scary because I'm, like, it's been years, you know? Like, it's been five years and that can feel like a long time and then yeah i don't know i can't remember what my point was but the the the, th- the sequence of events was like we went on a first date we immediately just like we're like hey you want to hang out tomorrow too and then oh yeah my point was that i'm i'm sensitive about how i want to meet someone and i have this like weird fucking job where i work way too many hours and i work five nights a week and like five nights a week i get off at midnight which means that, and and then, like, it's not like I wake up many hours before work on those five days. So, like, five nights a week, five days a week, I'm just unavailable. Like, I'm just, like, I go home at midnight and I hang out with myself for three hours until very late. And then I wake up and just go back to work. So, it's like, it's very hard for me to imagine how I will ever be able to, like, spend time with another person with that schedule. And it's like something I'm, it's a big fear. It's a big, big fear. And I really find it hard to imagine how I'm ever going to figure this out. And I'm like very scared of the loneliness that that represents for me. But it's also like late stage capitalism, you know? Like if you pay a man enough money, he'll fucking drown himself. And um, so... This woman really helped with that because she lives two blocks from my house, from my work, and she would just, like, do whatever. And in the evening when I get off work, she'd just be like, hey, you want to come over? And then I'd just go two blocks over to her house, and we would just hang out for a bit. And then I would go home. Like, we'd hang out for an hour and a half, and then I'd go home. And it was, like, this thing where I could do that, like, every night. And it really worked with my schedule and it really didn't work with her schedule that much, but she just kind of like changed her schedule a little bit for me. And it made me, it injected me with a little bit of hope that if you meet someone and you just feel like a little tingle of being interested, like if you just feel a little bit infatuated with someone, maybe you just make it work. Like maybe if you just meet the right person, you just kind of make it work. And then you maybe just figure it out. And then, you know, and I'm so fucking sensitive about all this shit that sometimes I just lay on my couch all sad and I'm just like on Instagram all sad and then I'll see some video 
where some girl uploads a video and she's like, you know, this one guy, he was like making fun of me for suggesting that he would drive two hours to see me. And it made me feel so depressed, like I wasn't worth anything and no one would ever drive two hours to see me. And then I met this guy and I'm just obsessed with him and he's obsessed with me. And he just drove like 18 hours to just hang out with me for like three hours. And then it's just a video of them hugging and it's like this, the, the idea of that's supposed to be really romantic that you like drive for 18 hours just to see someone for three hours. And then that hits my reality of how I am so alone on the couch. And the reality is that I would like... I would probably drive for like seven days. It like if it was the thing, you know, if it was like a real thing, like I fucking I hate it here, you know. I say I hate it here because that's the name of a a human resources newsletter that I'm reading nowadays. <laughs> the phrase I hate it here has worked its way into my vocabulary because that's the name of the newsletter and I just think it's quippy. It's quippy and funny. It's a quippy and funny HR newsletter about, like, how do you make your staff not hate everything? And the newsletter is called I Hate It Here. I hate it here, though. So, like, I get super emo on the couch (laughs) seeing, like, seeing, like, these Instagram posts where some girl is like, he drove 18 hours to hang out with me for three hours. And I get super emo and I'm like, just about sad enough to drive 18 hours to hang out with someone for three hours, you know? Like, if it was something that felt meaningful, I would probably drive 18 hours to see someone for three hours. You feel me? And, uh, yeah. So, the girl helped a little bit with that. But then, the thing that then happened, that I already talked about on the podcast, but I didn't understand it at the time, is that <clears throat> we I never said anything mean to her, ever. And she never said anything mean to me. And then... The weeks went on, and after a couple of weeks, I was like, so, now I'm going to tell this story, and it's very much my, um, it's a very defensive version of this story, where I'm like not being, it's not the most truthful version, but it's the version I have to tell myself to not admit the truth, because the truth is that I'm just a fucking asshole, and I just ended up saying something not nice in the end, and that's like the plain telling of the story but like my less plain really complicated version that i make up for myself to make myself uh feel okay to make to make it like you know my the excuse the the version of the story full of excuses is the following after like two weeks of hanging out with her and two and a half and three it just sort of started becoming real or like it started becoming hard to deny to myself that like maybe there is like a little bit of compatibility problem here and we just have a little bit of a different we're in different places in our life like I'm 36 and she's like 25 or 26 or something and some of her friends are like 23 and there's some stuff I it's still not I don't know look I still don't even know but but I was feeling a little bit, I guess, okay, so here's what I can say. I was feeling a little bit bored and frustrated because um, the friend group, they're a little, they're, they're, there's a stoner, there's a stoner thing going on. And me being Johnny Soberpants, it's like, it gets a little bit boring to be a sober guy in a group of stoned people. And so I was getting a little bit frustrated and bored. And then my excuse that I'm making for myself is that I'm saying that because I was feeling like maybe this isn't really going that well. And then I got a little bit mean and shitty just to like sabotage it because 
I wanted to fuck it up because I wasn't believing in it. Like that's what I'm choosing to believe to be true, to to like not face the reality of how I might just be damaged goods or whatever. Um, so we were talking and I called her a narcissist and she like didn't like that and she looked at me weird. And then <clears throat> I left and then it stopped. She just stopped texting me every four hours. But the thing is, and this is the thing that was super instructive and that I'm really grateful looking back on the whole experience. She didn't actually reject me. She just stopped giving me validation. And I didn't know that those two, two were different, but, but she executed in a way where they are. Instead of just texting me every four hours to check on me, to make, to, which always made me feel like really seen and really wanted, even though most of the texts were not like her saying, I want you. It was just like, here's a funny meme I saw, or here's this funny thing, or I was thinking, or look, look what I'm eating. You know, just like, a, we're, fr- like we're connected, a connectedness thing that made me feel really validated. She just stopped texting me those every four hour texts. But when I texted her, she would always respond. And then I'd respond and then she'd respond. And she would always respond. And when I was like, hey, you want to hang out? She'd be like, yeah. And then we haven't actually hung out since because I haven't solidified, like I just never really solidified any real suggestion for when or how we should hang out. But like she did, like it became clear to me that like if I actually believed in the, or like if the healthy part of me was here for a real thing that I wanted to build towards the future, then I wouldn't be so stressed out about this because she's responding to me and, and I can go see her and she wants to hang out with me, she says, and all this stuff. So it's like, that's not a problem. But if it's, if it's just the unhealthy part of me being addicted to validation and just needing her to text me every four hours. So I feel like, you know, I can remain a little bit intoxicated on like my self-worth being padded, like my self-worth being embellished by that or whatever, then yeah. If, if all I needed, all I wanted was validation and then she stops giving me validation. I felt, I felt horrible all week because I was so fucking sad and upset because she stopped giving me validation and I felt fucking terrible. And yeah, and I'll text her and be like, hey, you want to you wanna hang out one of these days? And she's like, sure. And I'm like, and part of me like, wants the rejection so I can make it a clean story but instead she doesn't reject me and then I'm like oh but I still feel bad because what I want is not to hang out what I want is like to just be drunk on like an unhealthy level of being obsessed with each other and that's not what she's signaling anymore because she's probably a healthy person so funny how there's different like areas of a person's psyche. Like she might not be super healthy in all areas of her psyche, but this area, she's pretty darn healthy. And then there are like, I'm super fucked up in this area, but there's so many areas of the mind where I'm like so perfectly healthy. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I don't know, man. And then I'm debating with myself like, should I hang out with her again? Because it's like, I liked hanging out with her. And 
maybe there's a grown-up way of being like, I like hanging out, hanging out with you, and I think we have a lot of fun together, and I think it's really smart, and the banter is really good, and like you're a cool person, and all this stuff. And maybe there's a grown-up way of just saying, but I'm like a sober, like sobriety is a big part of my life. So the la- later part of the evening, if you're ha- hanging out with your friends and smoking weed, I can't really be that there for that because it's like you guys actually make that weed look delicious and I kind of want to smoke it and that kind of threatens my sobriety and all is lost if I lose my sobriety. Like if I lose my sobriety, the podcast is over, you know? Like if 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 there's ever just an episode and then not an episode that's probably what happened you know like if it's ever like 100 episode 171 the headphones break is the name of the episode joe kim talks about you know protein shakes and getting back into crossfit even though he was never into crossfit and you know i don't know what do i even talk about video games Joe Kim talks about some shit in episode 171. And then there's just never a 172. And I didn't say anything about how I was going to end the podcast. I didn't signal anything like that. Maybe I just sounded a little bit depressed and then there wasn't another episode. That's because I relapsed, okay? That's because I lost the sobriety. And maybe there's a grown-up way to say this girl like, hey, like, maybe I can't hang out with you when you're not. I don't know. It's interesting because, like, I don't really mind her when it's just one on one, and she smokes a little bit of weed, and we're hanging out. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's true that she's still in those situations. Makes me ah, that weed looks delicious when I hang out with her like that. So maybe that's an issue, you know? Maybe that's an issue, but um, I'm not totally sure. And then I'm also feeling just this other thing of like. Yeah, I don't know. I've talked about this before. Like, it's um, a relationship. To get into a good relationship, you have to kind of, in the first two years of the relationship, I think it's good to deliberately stress test the relationship a little bit. It's like, hey, go go backpacking through Portugal for like 10 days. Just see what happens, you know? Like, I was talking about how my sister did this amazing thing of like, she's with this guy and then they just like, hey, let's just drive a car around Australia and just live in a car in Australia for a year just because we're young and and whatever like he was in the military and then when he came out of the military I think they gave him some money and he was like let's just chill and um and it's just such a great way to test a relationship I think but then and then another similar angle it's like this girl that I'm seeing or was seeing this girl that rejected me rejection and Joachim not knowing how he feels about stuff. That's the theme of this episode. The girl who rejected me here that we're talking about, she's unemployed right now. And it's like she was laid off like a month ago or a month and a half ago or something. And she's looking for a job. So it's like a weird, different person I'm meeting. Like she might, it's very possible that she's, most of the time in her life, she's a different person. And I'm just hanging out with this like, weird outlier version of her which is like the person she is between jobs where she's unemployed where she like has a totally different psychology and rhythm and that might be true and it might not be true she might be super consistent i remember the last girl i was seeing in seattle 
before I moved to California, um, we got in this super weird thing where like I was working at Babar for, you know, a year or something and then the pandemic hit and then I still went back to work and I was the only fucker in there and we had 40 people on staff and I'm the only one who showed up because we just needed one person to organize all the to-go orders. So there's like six guys in the kitchen and me front of house and that's it. And it's like this enormous airplane hangar big restaurant. And we would only have one light bulb on, like one grapefruit large light bulb hanging in this big space. And I would work frantically under this one light bulb, organizing hundreds of to-go orders. And then people would show up and I'd bring it to them on the sidewalk and bring it to them in their cars, just like coming out. I'm wearing gloves and a mask. F- feels like you're a medical worker. And I would try to ride that train for as long as possible. I tried to have my job for as long as possible. But then eventually it got to a point where I was like hella exposed to COVID at work and didn't want to go to work and spread it because it was like pre-vaccine. So they fucking fired me for not wanting to spread a COVID or whatever. We talked about it on the pod at the time, whatever. Um, But so then I was unemployed and I was on unemployment. And then I met this girl and we had this entire relationship for the duration of me being unemployed. And she kept (laughs) saying things to me about how chill I was and how my life was so perfect. And I kept trying to tell her like, this is not my regular life or my regular anything. This is just like a weird thing during the pandemic where like I'm kind of chill because they're paying me like a little bit more than how much I was making before when I was working. They're paying me more now and I'm not working and my schedule is very open. Like normally I'm like depressed and overworked and things suck and she'd just be like, appreciate how it was like this weird fairy character that would just float into her life and she had a job and she would teach over she would do teaching i i guess maybe the schools were closed but she no she would teach and it would it was all online so she worked and I would just sleep in her bed and just sleep in while she goes in the other room and works. And it's just like the most romantic setup to just be allowed to do that, to just be allowed to just have these lazy mornings where she would like wake up and work on the computer for four hours and do Zoom meetings and check her schedule if she has any Zoom meetings. And if she doesn't have any, she would just come back to bed and we would just like hang out in bed for two and a half more hours. And then we'd like go and have a lazy brunch. And then we'd go to these like really nice bakeries in West Seattle. And then we'd go for these hikes with her dog along the water on the off-leash dog parks. And then the day is like over. (laughs) And I didn't do anything. (laughs) My day was completely meaningless and empty. But I just like decided to be like, it's a pandemic. Like, what do you want from me? Like, they're paying me to survive. And it's a pandemic. So life is on hold. So I'm just going to not worry about it. And... um, Did I have a podcast at the time? No. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. But I think that was in the hiatus. It was like I did 49 episodes and then I took a break for like eight months. So I think I did episode 49 and then I met her. And it was just this like dreamlike state of no pressure and nothing. And I always, she never got it. She never understood that. She never even met the real me, probably, in a sense. And so that's kind of weirdly in the back of my mind as I'm spending time with this girl. Because I'm like, am I even, have I even met her? Or is this just like a weird dream-like unemployed version of her? 
And I really think that like, because my question is like, I'm old and I want to get into a good real relationship that's going to last for a long time. So I'm, I need to figure out ways to fast track certain things. And I think I need to deliberately fast track something where I like, I need to meet someone where I think they're really cool and we have like this really great compatibility. And then I need to trick her into doing a couple of different stress test things where we both get fired and we both spend a month together unemployed. And then we have jobs again and then we work for six months and then we both go to Portugal and and just live out of a car for a month. And and the whole time I'm looking at her from across the room like, how are you in this situation? And the whole time I'm looking at, a rela- at our relationship from across the room and I'm like, is this relationship good in this under these circumstances too? Anyway, I think I have to call it with this episode. But... um. Okay, so um, it's now the next day. My voice sounds the same. You think everything's the same. You think you're listening to the same episode. You, you know, it's still me, but it's the next day. And I have to just mention one more thing here at the tail end of the episode because one more thing happened and I just, I, I was just sitting here thinking about it. Now, it, I'm struggling with how to talk about it because it's all it's all so incredibly self-important and so unimportant and so like, I'm just making myself so incredibly important here. But, you know, it's my podcast and, and I get to just sit here and do this, I think. But so I go to this comedy show and it's 45 minutes of, of Ali Colbert saying mean things about me that are hilarious, but they are really mean to me. And I think you can tell in the episode up until this point, the stuff I recorded yesterday that you just listened to, I think you can tell that I actually don't really know how I feel about it because really what it is, it's an exercise in I'm a narcissist or like I'm enough of a narcissist that I want to be the center of attention. And then it's a, it's an, it's a thought experiment put into practice of, of the question like, so how bad can we treat you and you still like it because you get to be the center of attention? <laughs> like that's really what this was. It was like you take, you take the abstract question of that, like how much torture will you endure if in return you get to be the center of attention? And it really reached the boundary of like almost I couldn't take it and I didn't even like it. But in the end it was like, just inside of the boundary of what's okay for me to still like it. And I got to the point where I still like it, but it wasn't all good. Like it, I really did feel really bad about a lot of the stuff. Like she said really mean things. And it's it really the stuff I felt worst about was like stuff I said where I didn't sound cool and then have her make fun of me for not sounding cool in and have the whole room laugh at me. And it's like the thing I'm feeling bad about there is not the mean thing she said. It's what I said. You know, the darkest place of persecution is always in our own hearts about what we did. And so I was feeling really bad about it. But so then I went home and I recorded a podcast about it. And then I, that same night, I sent her a message. I sent the comedian a message on Instagram at 1 a.m. And I sent her the following message. I wrote, I'm so incredibly honored to be permanently scarred by being part of your crowd work tonight. You're so talented and we all love you. Keep doing what you're doing. And for some reason, I want to mention that there were no exclamation marks there. And here's the thing that I like about this message. I didn't do this thing of like identifying myself. 
where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm the, uh, you don't remember me probably, but uh, I was the guy who was, uh, I was sitting, uh, I was wearing the, uh, we talked when, uh, it's like, no, uh, that's, that stuff's for the birds, you know, like, just say the thing you want to say, if, and then, <laughs> and then if she's going to read it and she's going to know who the fuck I am, it's on her to like click my fucking name, go to my profile, click my picture, make the picture bigger, look at my face, uh, scroll through my pictures, look at the few pictures of me and like identify me or like you figure it out. And and that's <laughs> that, looking back on it. That's the one thing I'm happy about in this message that I was like enough of a giga Chad to be like, okay, I'm gonna write you this message, but I'm gonna make you do the legwork. And so then I go to bed, and then when I wake up, I she sent me a message at like 11 a.m. the next day, and and she goes, oh my god. Paul Dano, I couldn't love you more. You made the show. I was hoping you'd message me so I could say that. It was a crowd I won't forget. Thanks for coming out to it with your ex. You're my favorite. So the first thought there is like, how nice is it to say nice things to people? Because she sends me this message, and then for like 24 hours, I was just glowing, you know? All I want is validation, you know? I'm a validation addict, and I'm going through withdrawal, and then I get validation from a lesbian with a blue check mark, dude. This message, I would just, I just reread it every hour, and it, I was just glowing. I, and it's like free for her to send me that message. It doesn't cost her any money. And then you know, I'm sending her a nice message that doesn't cost me any money. It's like, how wonderful is it to just learn how to give compliments? It's just actually like, God, I love how this. This whole journey, every podcast episode is me just rediscovering conventional wisdom, rediscovering things that are common sense that everyone else learned as a child, but I was told as a child and rejected. And then now in my mid-30s, I'm re-remembering things I was told as a child and realizing that that was true all along. Like, how nice is it to say something nice to someone? Fucking incredible. And like... Okay, and the best, so the best part, like the thing about it that makes me feel the best is that, well, first of all, there's this thing of like saying I love you to each other, which is like, I, I have mixed feelings about it, but I think I'm into it. The way Americans do it, because Americans do it all the time. Like in Sweden, we do not do it. Like it's not a phrase. Like someone who taught me how to do it in America, I think it's actually uniquely American. I don't think it's a thing like it, it's not a thing in China. Like, like the, the person in America who really showed me the space for it and the new, the uniquely American way of doing it is actually Max Loring, who we were just servers together at Babar, and it's a shitty job. It's a shitty entry-level job. You, you show up. You don't have any relevant education. You have nothing. You're just a guy, and you're just willing to work. And you're just like, I'll do the weird hours, I'll sacrifice this, and I'll sacrifice this, and I'll like humiliate myself like this, and I'll fucking do it. And you just shovel shit in these trenches. And and then he showed me that in those trenches, you like go through these traumatic, 
overly stressful, very difficult, intense experiences that people just give up. Like people give up in the middle of those experiences and just and just say, I can't do it. And they go home and they never come back. Like it's, it's like groups, people just screaming at you about shit. Like there's so many emotions to deal with. A room full of angry people. Like walking into a room full of angry people and going from table to table and just dealing with everyone's emotions. Like there are bad nights when you're a server. When you're a server in a, and it's a saloon and it's, you're slinging fucking pho in a saloon. It, you have bad nights. And then you trauma bond and then you, Max Loring taught me this thing that like once you're there in the trenches and you have a bunch of bad nights together, it's really nice to look over at the guy next to you, shoulder to shoulder with you, and his face is covered in dirt and your face is covered in dirt, and you tell him, I love you, you know, I love you. Like we're doing this together and you're here for me and I'm here for you. And it's like we do this thing and we barely know each other. Like I don't know where your mom lives. I don't – like we don't know anything about each other on a personal level. We're work, we're coworkers, but I love you because we do this thing and this is real life. And this moment is like we are spending real time here. This is not some pretend dream and after it we're going to do the real thing. No. Like the present moment is real and it matters and we're spending it together and let's take this experience seriously. And what I'm feeling in this moment is what I'm, is my, these are my feelings. Like there's not some later date where like, oh, I'm just doing, like, this is just some joke thing I'm doing before life actually starts. Like, no, that's a fucking logical error to think that everything is just, that you're just existing in a pre-success state. Or like uh, that this is just the – this is it. This is real life. We're living it together and we show up here every day and we do this thing together. And it, there's a poetry to it. And I love you. And then you hug and then you walk off into the horizon. And ever since he taught me how to do that, I've kind of gone with it. And I kind of tell my friends I love them. And sometimes at like at Holbrook, I tell my coworkers that I love them. And like I, there are people I have – known now for years and and I tell him I love him and then we have a hard experience together <laughs> and then I look at him and I'm like <laughs> I had an experience uh never mind I'm going off on such a tangent here it's different but I had an experience where like yeah I don't know had to punish Natasha a little bit and then the next day I look at her and we always tell each other that we love each other when we leave and then I had to punish her a little bit and she was furious with me and then the next day I was like I love you, Natasha. <laughs> and she looks at me and it's like a real sibling sort of thing where it's like, I fucking hate you, but this is reality and we're together. And I'm not giving up on us because it's family. I fucking hate you, but it's family. So I love you too. And she looked at me and she was all mad and she's like, I love you too. And there's like, there's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to how the Americans know how to how to really live life and like there's a fearlessness to the american um, temperament that i really like but so i tell her that i i message ali colbert and i say you're so talented and we all love you and um and she messaged me back and she says that she loves me and the part though like it's incredibly 
It's incredibly they, okay. So the nice part, the the part about it about her message that's the nicest is where she goes, "I was hoping you'd message me so I could say that because that implies that I exist, that I am not just some like imagined fictitious character that she that." passed through her visual field and then disappeared it like implies that she takes me seriously and that because the whole thing here's the thing man it's it's really a ritual the thing that she does where she you go up on stage and there are just different rules and it's like you do 45 minutes and it's for the duration you do things a very specific non-realistic way we don't follow the rules of society. And then the moment is over. The magic is gone. And she just didn't look at anyone, looked completely sad, stared right ahead as she walked past us and just ignored us. And it's like the moment is over. It's like a really Cinderella kind of thing. So it's like it really gives you this feeling of like, wow, we had this like fever dream together and now it's over and it wasn't real. And she she doesn't – like she will never think about me again. And that feels bad because she was so mean to me. And then saying I was hoping you'd message me implies that she thought about me for a second and that I exist and that – and it's like I don't know if that's true that she was hoping that I was going to message her. but But, you know, she said it and it's nice to say it because saying it to me – is her way of implying to me that it's true. And she might be lying, but it's like, that's a really nice lie, you know? That's a really charitable, generous, beautiful, good lie. That's good lying to say those nice things and to make me feel like I'm a real person. And I really, it really, I I read it and I read it again and I was just thinking about how like, it's so nice that we can say nice things to each other and I have to remember to say that if it's true because I really believe that it's a nice thing to say in earnest but like if I've been thinking about someone and hoping to see them or hoping that they'd call me or hoping that they'd reach out to tell them that when they do because it's so wonderful to say to like oh to tell people that they exist in your mind that that we like to acknowledge that we exist in each other's minds is just so wonderful but um but then it really gave me peace because before we had this exchange back and forth so i sent she sent me that message and then i just sent her a uh, meme and the meme is just from trash can paul a few days ago where um it's just a picture or a video or whatever of Ryan Gosling falling out of a window and crashing down in all this broken glass and then rolling over and doing a thumbs up. And the caption is just, my reaction after going through the most traumatic situation of my entire life, thumbs up emoji. And it's just about like how, uh, uh, kidding around about how it was super difficult to be um, told all those mean things by her and have like... Yeah, and like the I don't, I don't know. Did I just think this, or did I already say this out loud? It's it's it was interesting because I was really tormented by the experience, and it was I was thinking about how 
so clearly in my mind, and maybe this is true for everyone, but maybe this is narcissism again, where it's like the things that I was feeling bad about after the show was the things I said. Like I would say something and then she would make fun of me for how I said it or who I was or what my voice sounded like or the words I chose or whatever. Whatever I said, she made fun of me for it and the entire room laughed at me like a nightmare, you know, like a really sort of unrealistic. It's a really unrealistic situation because it's really a heightened, exaggerated situation to have like you say something and then a person on a stage with a microphone makes fun of what you say and then everyone in the room laughs at you and then you say another thing and then she makes fun of what you say <laughs> and then every like a hundred people and every hundred people behind you like they're all outside of your field of vision so you can't like confront their humanity you just know that they exist and that they're laughing at you like it's a very nightmarish situation <laughs> and then afterwards i'm thinking about what am i feeling bad about and it's like i'm not feeling bad about what she said about what i said i'm feeling bad about what i said you know the darkest place of persecution is always inside of your own heart. It's not the mean things she said about me because that only says stuff about her, you know? Everything we say is just, everything everyone says is just about themselves, you know? So like, I just felt bad about what, what I had said. <laughs> None of her insults mattered as much as how much I hate what I said. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. There must be a scientific name for this where you're like, you're a narcissist, but it's not going very well. Um, but so I was driving today and I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how I really didn't feel good about it yesterday, but I was feeling good about it now after she sent me this message. Um, and I was thinking about how the dynamic of all of that really um, reminded me of this fucked up thing from a few years ago. So this is a crazy, very explicit story, but I think I'm just gonna fucking say it. And it's it's the following. It's like the last girl that I dated in Seattle, um, I already mentioned her. She knew me during a weird time when I was like unemployed. She got to know a weird unemployed version of me. There was this one experience we had. And to preface it, I have to explain that like we had a number of fights and the fights were often that I – that she was very sensitive. I think she would admit that she's very sensitive. But she was convinced that she was right in those these times. But like things would happen where I would just ask – I would just ask straightforward questions. And I'm just like this – weirdly straightforward kind of jaded guy where she would talk about some emotional thing and sensitive thing and I would just like not immediately get on her level in this like super sensitive guy uh emotionally soft way I would just like be over here like asking some asking some questions and trying to figure shit out and she would like blow up at me about how insensitive it is that I would ask instead of like just and it would be shit about her dad or like she had a fucked up childhood with all this religious extremism and like people pass away and there's like pain in her heart. And she, you know, I respect her for everything she went through. And I was probably, I'm look, I'm an asshole, man. I was probably an asshole in every single one of those situations and all of this. But there was one thing that it reminded me of most what happened to me this week, which is we had one experience where like we're hanging out. We've been hanging out all afternoon. And then 
we would usually have sex in this like kind of slow, kind of hot, kind of nice, uh, kind of like way of how I do it maybe. Like it's kind of like slow and kind of focused on her and it's kind of like not very verbal, but it's like, I don't know, there's like a slowness to it um, of just like breathing a little bit and just like being extremely focused on where she's going and just like take her there and stuff and let it take a long time and do it kind of slow and stuff. And then this one time, God, that's so fucking abstract, but hey, this is, hey, I can't be more explicit than that, but stuff like that. And then this one time randomly, just something happened and we just didn't do it that way. We did it like totally different where I like sort of like we're making out and I'm kind of like pushing her up on the counter in her kitchen. And then I kind of like carry her into the bedroom and we're I'm kind of like making out with her all like intense and stuff. And then I kind of like rip her pants off and stuff. And we have sex, right? And her shirt is on and like I kind of unbuckle her bra, but her bra is still on. And like most of my clothes are still on and we're kind of like boning and and it's like this whole thing and, and oh God, how explicit. Does it matter if I'm being explicit? It's like we're kind of doing it from behind and stuff. And it's like kind of just like this messy, chaotic thing. And then it's kind of like over because it's over for me, which is, you know, that's one way to do it, you know? It's not the best if that's your normal way of doing it, but but it can be cool to throw some of those in the mix, you know? Like most of them are about her, and then once in a while it gets really animalistic and it's all about me, you know? Because you got to keep it a little bit fresh and stuff. But anyway, so we kind of like bone like that, and it's kind of like, I don't, I don't want to use the word rough because I don't think it was rough. It was just different and it was faster and it wasn't like eye contact because we were doing it from behind or whatever and there was like a little bit of me like just like being strong you know I'm just like a big dude and I'm just like strong and then when it's over aka when it's over for me or whatever I kind of just like get off of the bed and like kind of put my clothes back on and then the thing is that we were gonna bake like we were we had talked we were in the middle of baking or something like we were going to make carrot cake or something. Because like you're hanging out with, you're dating unemployed Joe Kim. When you're dating unemployed Joe Kim, it's just like, all right, let's watch like four episodes of The Walking Dead and then bake carrot cake. And at one point, you don't know when, we're going to have sex. Uh, it's going to surprise you. But And then, you know, you go for a walk, you walk the dog by the ocean, and then you come home and you watch a, some other TV show where you play video games and you can smoke weed, but I'm sober. And, you know, I might read a book for a bit. And, you know, it's unemployed joking. <laughs> anyway, so after we have sex, I kind of like get off the bed and I'm kind of like getting dressed and I'm like talking about the carrot cake. And I'm like, all right, so do we make like a cream cheese frosting for this carrot cake or whatever? And then she turns around and we have an enormous fight because she thought that the sex that we had just had was she used the term rape fantasy like she thought it was incredibly hot but it was in the category for her of rape fantasy and i'm like what do you mean rape fantasy and she's like you ripped my clothes off and and it was like rape fantasy stuff and it's like it was incredibly hot but after you do that you have to be really soft with me afterwards to like reestablish the softness 
of how things are. And I remember talking to her and being like, yeah, no, no, soft, I get it. But like, I'm about to make carrot cake with you. Like, that's what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on how we're about to make carrot cake. Like, that's soft as fuck, dude. Like, it's not like I'm leaving. She's like, you have to, after that, which was so intense and like rough, we have to like reconnect. And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. But like, I thought we were reconnecting by making carrot cake together. Like, we're literally going to bake together. Like, how fucking cute cute is that? It's soft and cute and it's a way to connect. It's what I thought. But she was like, no, after that kind of experience of what you just did to me, you have to just lay next to me on the bed and just hold me and just look into my eyes and just say sweet things to me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, let's do that. But it was like too late because I'd fucked it up because I'd like rolled off of her and like got out, got off the bed and like started getting dressed or whatever. So it was too late. Like her asking for it was like, her asking for sweetness was like, me already failing. So now we were already in a huge fight. So she's like screaming at me about how horrible of a person I am. And um, I really like understood where she was coming from. Like she experienced it a certain way, which is like, I think it's super, I mean, okay. I was going to say, I think it's super silly to say what happened to call it rape fantasy, but because it's like, I'm, you know, I, it's like, it's like that thing that big ghost, the blogger said about Drake, where he's like, Drake is the softest N word or whatever. And Drake is like liquid hand soap. And Drake is like the little lumps in liquid hand soap. Because when you get those little lumps in liquid hand soap, they're not liquid, but they're still liquid hand soap. Like they're still that soft. You know, like that's me. Like I'm I'm soft and my hardest bits is like the bits in liquid hand soap. Like those things are still soft AF. Like that's my hardest, my, the hardest version of me is still very soft. But anyway, even though like I, I didn't get it before she said it but when she said it i understand how she experienced it and i completely respect that and it's like people have different experiences and like people can have bad women especially have a lot of bad experiences and then certain things can just bring up memories certain moods and actions and physicalities can just like bring up certain memories so it's not really about like objective reality as much as it is about how valid her subjective reality is so like i'm totally fine with accepting that her subjective reality there was like she found it to be very rough or whatever and then you know it doesn't really matter like what if you'd shown a video of it to like 30 impartial people and polled them and been like, do you think this is rough, just what's going on here? Or is this just kind of like normal sex? And I believe that 28 people out of those 30 would be like, yeah, that's that's just normal sex. But like that doesn't matter because how she felt is how she felt and that's reality because all reality is is how we feel. So I get that. And I just felt really, really sad that I failed her. In the end, I just felt really, really sad that I failed her and that she had that, and that I let her drift that far away from me and that I lost the connection and that I couldn't 
that I couldn't read what was going on with her good enough to know that like in this moment she needs like this like incredibly liquid hand soap level softness. Um, and it's I'm if I'm saying, oh, let's go bake a carrot cake together and make cream cheese frosting. I'm being too much of a uh, heartless, you know, hard ass motherfucker. And um, yeah, so it reminded me of that because we like found a way back. Like it was deeply upsetting to her. And then we found a way back because I found a way to just like just be there with her and let her scream at me for 30 minutes about what an asshole I am. And then just like admit that I am an asshole and just like take the whole thing and take responsibility for the whole thing within her subjective reality and just be completely soft with her and just eventually reconnect and be like, I'm sorry I wasn't softer immediately. And there's something that happened there that I didn't understand. There's something that happened there from her perspective that I didn't understand until the last 48 hours because it's the same thing. Like you have a ritual within which you do something which is like enjoyable but but violent and horrible and painful and like there are specific rules within that ritual and where everyone is on the same page that within the rules of the ritual, within the time, with the, within the allotted time of the ritual and within the designated space of the ritual, we're allowed to act in this way that's not allowed in regular society, i.e. rough sex slash Ellie Colbert saying horrible things to making fun of everything I say and making the whole room laugh at me. Um, and then that leaves the like the person who is on the receiving end of of the roughness it leaves them feeling bad though so like when the ritual is over you can't just flick a switch and feel okay immediately and be like yep that was just a ritual we don't give a shit it's like you need the perpetrator to sit down with the victim and acknowledge what happened and just you need connection between the two parties after the fact. It's not enough to just leave it there. Like you can't just do, you can't just act out the ritual and then everyone just walks away. Like after the ritual, you need to sit down. You need a moment to sit down with each other. And when Ali Colbert says, I was hoping you'd message me so I could say that, so that... Like, she goes, oh, my God, Paul Dano, I couldn't love you more. You made the show. I was hoping you'd message me so I could say that. It was a crowd I won't forget. Um, when she says, I was hoping you'd message me so I could say that, that's her acknowledging that, like, the ritual isn't completely self-sufficient. The ritual of pain, the ritual of, like, violent entertainment isn't completely self-sufficient because the violence needs us to afterwards look each other in the eye and have one moment of connection and just and just like acknowledge that that's not who we are and like the ex-girlfriend and me needed that she needed that from me to just like needed me to look her in the eye and be like that's not who we are and then you know god 
there's a loaded thing here where it, fe- it sounds like I was really rough with her and I really wasn't. But anyway, that's very subjective, isn't it? It's very subjective and it's really explicit to try to explain what happened and didn't happen. <laughs> and then Ali Colbert saying, <laughs> saying, Ali Colbert saying, I was hoping you'd message me, is her like saying, I was hoping that we could just send one message each to each other about what happened and just be like, we're cool, right? And saying, like, we all love it. We all loved that, right? And they, they maybe that's the question. After the ritual of violence, after you leave the arena where the ritual of violence took place, all the participants need to look at each other and ask, We all loved it, right? (laughs) Just to give everyone opportunity to say that they didn't love it. But people always, like, the act of looking each other in the eyes and asking the question, me, it's it's what makes us love it. Because, like, I didn't feel safe after that experience. (laughs) I didn't feel safe after that comedy show. But when she tells me that my experience is valid... And then my subjective reality of I felt like I made the show when she just acknowledges my, you know, instead of gaslighting me when she says you made the show, it's like, <laughs> oh, God, such a, such a, such a, such a thing, huh? Such a fucking thing. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a weird experience being alive, but, um, yeah, I think the episode is now over, finally. And now I have to find a way to edit in this fucking ending that I'm recording the next day here. Uh, but, you know, I love you guys. That's a thing that Max Loring taught me how to say. And <clears throat> thank you for listening to the podcast. And um, and there we go. There we go. It's That's it. That's the end of the episode. As always, if you have thoughts, or if you want to tell me that you love me back, Or if you want to send me a compliment, which is free, and I will compliment you back, which is free. Which, fuck, that's so crazy. I never, I never respond to the nice things people email me, even though it's free. That's the thing. It's not free. It takes something like it takes. Is it work? Is it a part of you that you give away? What is it? What is it that you do? What is the fuel that goes into the soul to have compliments, to have like the generosity? You have to develop a generosity. God, I have to learn how to, I have to learn how to develop that generosity for sure. People message me and I don't respond. People send me compliments about the podcast and I don't respond. That's, that's bad. We need to work on that. I am not particularly enlightened. But anyway, if you want to try it, if you want to give me material to uh, send me any kind of message and I will try to send you a compliment back. My email is joachim.erickson at gmail.com. You know, love you guys.